Chapter six and seven of the Mistress of Shenstone by Florence Barclay. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Six at the Moorhead Inn. The ruddy glow of a crimson sunset illumined cliff and hamlet, tinting the distant ocean into every shade of golden glory, as Myra walked up the gravelled path to the rustic porch of the Moorhead Inn, and looked around her with a growing sense of excited refreshment. She had come on foot from the little wayside station, her luggage following in a barrel, and this mode of progression, minus a footman and maid, and carrying her own cloak, umbrella, and travelling-bag, was in itself a charming novelty at the door she was received by the proprietress a stately lady in black satin wearing a double row of large jet beads who reminded her instantly of all lord ingleby's maiden aunts she seemed an accentuated dignified concentrated embodiment of them all and myra longed for billy to share the joke aunt ingleby requested mrs o'mara to walk in and hoped she had had a pleasant journey then she rang a very loud bell twice in order to summon a maid to show her to her room and the maid not appearing at once requested mrs o'mara meanwhile to write her name in the visitor's book lady ingleby walked into the hall passing a smoking-room on the left and noting a door with coffee-room upon it in gold lettering down a short passage immediately opposite up from the centre of the hall on her right went the rather wide old-fashioned staircase and opposite to it against the wall between the smoking-room and a door labelled reception-room stood a marble-topped table lying open upon this table was a ponderous visitor's book a fresh page had been recently commenced as yet only containing four names the first three were dated may the eighth and read in crabbed precise writing miss amelia murgatroyd miss eliza murgatroyd miss susanna murgatroyd lawnview putney below these bearing a date a week later in a small precise writing of unmistakable character and clearness the name jim Earth, london pen and ink lay ready and without troubling to remove her glove lady ingleby wrote beneath in large somewhat sprawling handwriting mrs o'mara the lodge shenstone a maid appeared took her cloak and bag and preceded her up the stairs as she reached the turn of the staircase lady ingleby paused and looked back into the hall the door of the smoking-room opened and a very tall man came out taking a pipe from the pocket of his loose norfolk jacket as he strolled into the hall his face reminded her of ronnie's deep bronzed and thin only it was an older face strong rugged purposeful the heavy brown moustache could not hide the massive cut of chin and jaw catching sight of a fresh name in the book he paused then laying one large hand upon the table bent over and read it myra stood still and watched noting the broad shoulders and the immense length of limb in the leather leggings he appeared to study the open page longer than was necessary for the mere reading of the name then without looking round reached up took a cap from the antler of a stag's head high up on the wall stuck it on the back of his head swung round and went out through the porch whistling like a blackbird jim Earth, said myra to herself as she moved slowly on jim Earth of london what an address he might just as well have put of the world a cross between a guardsman and a cowboy and very likely he will turn out to be a commercial traveller then as she reached the landing and came in sight of the rosy-cheeked maid holding open the door of a large airy bedroom she added with a whimsical smile all the same i wish i had taken the trouble to write more neatly seven mrs o'mara's correspondence letter from lady ingleby to the honourable mrs dalmain 
the moorhead inn tregarth cornwall my dear jane having been here a week i think it is time i commenced my first letter to you how does it feel to be a person considered pre-eminently suitable to minister to a mind diseased doesn't it give you a sense of being as it were rice pudding or brand's essence or maltine something essentially safe and wholesome you should have heard how sir derrick jumped at you as soon as your name was mentioned tentatively as my possible correspondent i had barely whispered it when he leapt and clinched the matter i believe wholesome was an adjective mentioned i hope you do not mind dear jane i must confess i would sooner be macaroons or oyster patties even at the risk of giving my friends occasional indigestion but then i have never gone in for the role of being helpful in which you excel not that it is a role with you dear jane rather it is an essential characteristic you walk in and find a hopeless tangle gather up the threads in those firm capable hands deftly sort and hold them and lo the tangle is over the skein of life is once more ready for winding well there is not much tangle about me just now thanks to our dear doctor's most excellent prescription it was a veritable stroke of genius this setting me free from myself from the first day the sense of emancipation was indescribable i enjoy being addressed as ma'am i revel in being without a maid though it takes me ages to do my hair and i have serious thoughts of wearing it in pigtails down my back when i remember the poor harassed exhausted society self i left behind i feel like buying a wooden spade and bucket and starting out all by myself to build sand-castles on this delightful shore i have no one to play with for i am certain the miss murgatroyds i am going to tell you of them never made sand-castles no not even in their infancy a century ago they must always have been the sort of children who wore white frilled bloomers poplin frocks and large leghorn hats with ribbons tied beneath their excellent little chins and walked demurely with their governess looking shocked at other infants who whooped and ran i feel inclined to whoop and run now and the miss murgatroyds are quite prepared to look shocked but oh the freedom of being nobody and of having nothing to think of or do and everything i see and hear gives me joy a lark rising from the turf and caroling its little self up into the blue the great atlantic breakers pounding upon the shore the fisher-folk standing at the doors of their picturesque thatched cottages all things seem alive with an exuberance of living to which i have long been a stranger do you know this coast with its high moorland its splendid cliffs and far below its sand-coves and ever-moving rolling surging deep green sea wonderful beautiful infinite my inn is charming primitive yet comfortable we have excellent coffee fried fish in perfection real nursery toast farm butter and home-made bread when you supplement these with marmalade and mulberry jam other things all cease to be necessities stray travellers come and go in motors merely lunching or putting up for one night but there are only four other permanent guests these all furnish me with unceasing interest and amusement the three miss murgatroyds oh jane they are so antediluvian and quaint three ancient sisters by name amelia eliza and susanna their villa at putney rejoices in the name of lawnview so characteristic and suitable because no view reaching beyond the limits of their own front lawn appears to these dear ladies to be worthy of regard they never go abroad excepting to the isle of wight because they do not like foreigners 
a party of quite charming americans arrived just before dinner the other day in an automobile and kept us lively during their flying visit they were cordial over the consomme friendly over the fish and quite confidential by the time we reached the third course but alas these delightful cousins from the other side were considered foreigners by the miss murgatroyds who consequently encased themselves in the frigid armour of their own self-conscious primness and passed the mustard without a smile i felt constrained afterwards to apologise for my countrywomen but the americans overflowing with appreciative good-nature explained that they had come over expressly in order to see old british relics of every kind they asked me whether i did not think the miss murgatroyds might have stepped right out of dickens i was fairly nonplussed because i thought they were going to say out of the ark you know how one mentally finishes a sentence as soon as it is begun and i simply dared not confess that i have not read dickens alas how ignorant of our own standard literature we are apt to feel when we talk to americans and find it completely a part of their everyday life but i must tell you more about the miss murgatroyds amelia eliza and susanna when quite at peace among themselves which is not often they are milly lizzie and susie but a little rift within the lute is marked by the immediate use of their full baptismal names poor susanna being the youngest the youthful side of sixty and inclined to be kittenish and giddy is very rarely susie miss murgatroyd amelia is stern and unbending she wears a cameo brooch the size of a tablespoon and lays down the law in precise and elegant english even when asking susie to pass the crumpets miss eliza the second sister is meek and unoffending her attitude toward miss amelia is one of perpetual apology she addresses susie as my dear love excepting on occasions when susie's behaviour has put her quite outside the pale then she calls her my dear susanna and sighs i am inclined to think miss eliza suffers from a demonstrative nature which has never had an outlet but susie is a lively one susie would be a flirt if she dared and if any man were bold enough to flirt with her under miss amelia's eye susie is barely fifty-five and her elder sisters regard her as a mere child and are very ready with reproof and correction susie has a pink and white complexion a soft fat little face and plump dimpled hands and susie is given to vanity jim airth held open the door of the coffee-room for her one day and susie i should say susanna has been in a flutter ever since poor naughty susie miss murgatroyd has changed her place at meals they have a table in the centre of the room and made her sit with her back to jim airth who has a round table all to himself in the window now i must tell you about jim airth and of a curious coincidence connected with him which you must not repeat to the doctor for fear he should move me on let me confess at once that i am extremely interested in jim airth and it is sweet and generous of me to admit it for jim airth is not in the least interested in me he rarely vouchsafes me a word or a glance he is a bear and a savage but such a fine good-looking bear and such a splendid and interesting savage he is quite the tallest man i ever saw with immense limbs lean and big-boned yet moves with the supple grace of an indian he was through that campaign last year and had a terrible turn of sunstroke and fever during which his head was shaved consequently his thick brown hair is now at the stage of standing straight up all over it like a bottle-brush i know susie longs to smooth it down but that would be a task beyond susie's utmost efforts his brows are very stern and level and his eyes 
deep set beneath them of that gentian blue which makes one think of alpine heights they can flash and gleam on occasions and sometimes look almost purple he wears a heavy brown moustache and his jaw and chin are terrifying in their masterful strength yet he smokes an old briar pipe whistles like a blackbird and derives immense amusement from playing up to naughty susie's coyness when the cameo brooch is turned another way i have seen his eyes twinkle with fun when miss susanna has purposely let fall her handkerchief and he has reached out a long arm picked it up and restored it whereupon susie has hastened out in the wake of her sisters in a blushing flutter miss eliza turning to whisper oh my dear love oh susanna i try when these things happen to catch jim eyre's merry eye and share the humour of the situation but he stolidly sees the wall through me on all occasions and would tread heavily on my poor handkerchief if i took to dropping it miss murgatroyd tells me that he is a confirmed hater of feminine beauty upon which poor miss susanna takes a surreptitious prink into the gold-framed mirror over the reception-room mantelpiece and says plaintively oh do not say that amelia but amelia does say that and a good deal more when first i saw jim earth i thought him a cross between a cowboy and a guardsman and i think so still but what do you suppose he turns out to be beside an author and stranger still he is writing an important book called modern warfare its methods and requirements in which he is explaining and working out many of michael's ideas and experiments he was right through that border war and took part in the assault on Targay. he must have known michael intimately all this information i have from miss murgatroyd i sometimes sit with them in the reception-room after dinner where they wind wool and knit endless winding perpetual knitting at five minutes to ten miss murgatroyd says now my dear eliza now susanna which is the signal for bestowing all their goods and chattels into black satin work-bags then at ten o'clock precisely miss murgatroyd rises and they procession up to bed ah no i beg their pardons the miss murgatroyds never go to bed they all retire to rest jim earth and his doings form a favourite topic of conversation they speak of him as mr earth which sounds so funny he is not the sort of person one would ever call mr to me he has been jim earth ever since i saw his name in small neat writing in the visitor's book i had to put mine just beneath it and of course i wrote mrs o'mara then as an address seemed expected added the lodge shenston just after i had written this jim earth came into the hall and stood quite still studying it i saw him from halfway up the stairs at first i thought he was marvelling at my shocking handwriting but now i believe the name shenston caught his eye no doubt he knew it to be michael's family seat do you know it was so strange the other night miss murgatroyd held forth in the reception-room about michael's death she explained that he was the first to dash into the breach and fell with his face to the foe she also added that she used to know poor dear lady ingleby intimately this was interesting and seemed worthy of further inquiry it turned out that she is a distant cousin of a weird old person who used to call every year on mamma for a subscription to some society for promoting thrift among the inhabitants of the south sea islands dear mamma used annually to jump upon this courageous old party and flatten her out and listening to the process was to us a fearful joy but annually she returned to the charge on one of these occasions just before my marriage miss murgatroyd accompanied her 
hence her intimate knowledge of poor dear lady ingleby also she has a friend who quite recently saw lady ingleby driving in the park and poor thing she had sadly gone off in looks i felt inclined to prink in the golden mirror after the manner of susie and exclaim oh do not say that amelia isn't it queer the way in which such people as these worthy ladies yearn to be able to say they know us for really when all is said and done we are not very much worth knowing i would rather know a cosmopolitan cowboy such as jim Earth than half the titled folk on my visiting list but really jane i must not mention him again or you will think i am infected with susie's flutter not so my dear he has shown me no little courtesies given few signs of being conscious of my presence barely returned my morning greeting though my lonely table is just opposite his in the large bay window but in this new phase of life everything seems of absorbing interest and the individuality of the few people i see takes on an exaggerated importance really that sentence might almost be sir derrick's also i really believe jim Eyre's peculiar fascination consists in the fact that i am conscious of his disapproval if he thinks of me at all it is not with admiration nor even with liking and this is a novel experience for i have been spoilt by perpetual approval and satiated by senseless and unmerited adulation oh jane as i walk along these cliffs and hear the atlantic breakers pounding against their base far down below as i watch the seagulls circling around on their strong white wings as i realize the strength the force the liberty in nature the growth and progress which accompanies life i feel i have never really lived nothing has ever felt strong either beneath me or around me or against me had i once been mastered and held and made to do as another willed i should have felt love was a reality and life would have become worth living but i have just dawdled through the years doing exactly as i pleased making mistakes and nobody troubling to set me right failing and nobody disappointed that i had not succeeded i realize now that there is a key to life and a key to love which has never been placed in my hands what it is i know not but if i ever learn it will be from just such a man as jim Earth. i have never really talked with him yet i am so conscious of his strength and virility that he stands to me in the abstract for all that is strongest in manhood and most vital in life much of the benefit of my time here quite unconsciously to himself comes to me from him when he walks into the house whistling like a blackbird when he hangs up his cap on an antler a foot or two higher than other people could reach when he ploughs unhesitatingly through his meals with a book or a paper stuck up in front of him when he dumps his big boots out into the passage long after the quiet house has hushed into repose and i smile in the darkness at the thought of how the sound will have annoyed miss murgatroyd startled miss eliza and made naughty miss susanna's heart flutter when all these things happen every day i am conscious that a clearer understanding of the past a new strength for the future and a fresh outlook on life come to me simply from the fact that he is himself and that he is here jim Earth may not be a saint but he is a man dear jane i should scarcely venture to send you this epistle were it not for all the adjectives wholesome helpful understanding etc which so rightly apply to you you will not misunderstand of that i have no fear but do not tell the doctor more than that i am very well in excellent spirits and happier than i have ever been in my life tell garth i loved his last song how often i sing to myself as i walk in the sea breeze and sunshine 
the harebells waving round my feet on god's fair earth mid blossoms blue fresh hope must ever spring i trust i sing it in tune but i know i have not much ear and how is your little geoffrey has he the beautiful shining eyes we all remember i have often laughed over your account of his sojourn at overdean and of how our dear naughty old duchess stirred him up to rebel against his nurse you must have had your hands full when you and garth returned from america oh jane how different my life would have been if i had had a little son ah well there is no room for sad despair when heaven's love is everywhere tell garth i love it but i wish he wrote simpler accompaniments that one beats me yours dear jane gratefully and affectionately myra ingleby letter from the honourable mrs dalmain to lady ingleby castle gleneesh n b my dear myra no i have not the smallest objection to representing rice-pudding or anything else plain and wholesome providing i agree with you and suffice for the need of the moment i am indeed glad to have so good a report it proves derrick right in his diagnosis and prescription keep to the latter faithfully in every detail i am much interested in your account of your fellow-guests at the moorhead inn no i do not misunderstand your letter nor do i credit you with any foolish sentimentality or susie-like flutterings jim airth stands to you for an abstract thing uncompromising manhood in its strength and assurance very attractive after the loneliness and sense of being cut adrift which have been your portion lately only remember where living men and women are concerned the safely abstract is apt suddenly to become the perilously personal and your future happiness may be seriously involved before you realize the danger i confess i fail to understand the man's avoidance of you he sounds the sort of fellow who would be friendly and pleasant toward all women and passionately loyal to one perhaps you with your sweet loveliness a fact my dear notwithstanding the observations in the park of miss amelia's crony may remind him of some long closed page of past history and he may shrink from the pain of a consequent turning of memory's leaves no doubt miss susanna recalls some nice old maiden aunt and he can afford to respond to her blandishments what you say of the way in which americans know our standard authors reminds me of a fellow-passenger on board the baltic on our outward voyage a charming woman from hartford connecticut who sat beside us at meals she had been spending five months in europe travelling incessantly and finished up with london her first visit to our capital expecting to be altogether too tired to enjoy it but found it a place of such abounding interest and delight that life went on with fresh zest and fatigue was forgotten every street she explained is so familiar we have never seen them before and yet they are more familiar than the streets of our native cities it is the london of dickens and of thackeray we know it all we recognize the streets as we come to them the places are home-like to us we have known them all our lives i enjoyed this tribute to our english literature but i wonder my dear myra how many streets east of temple bar in our dear old london are home-like to you garth insists upon sending you at once a selection of his favorites from among the works of dickens so expect a bulky package before long you might read them aloud to the miss murgatroyds while they knit and wind wool garth thoroughly enjoyed our trip to america you know why we went 
since he lost his sight all sounds mean so much to him he is so boyishly eager to hear all there is to be heard in the world any possibility of a new sound experience fills him with enthusiastic expectation and away we go he set his heart upon hearing the thunderous roar of niagara so off we went by the white star line his enjoyment was complete when at last he stood close to the horseshoe fall on the canadian side with his hand on the rail at the place where the spray showers over you and the great rushing boom seems all around and as we stood there together a little bird on a twig beside us began to sing garth is putting it all into a symphony how true it is what you say of the genial friendliness of americans i was thinking it over on our homeward voyage it seems to me that as a rule they are so far less self-conscious than we their minds are fully at liberty to grow out at once in keenest appreciation and interest to meet a new acquaintance our senseless british greeting how do you do that everlasting question which neither expects nor waits an answer can only lead to trite remarks about the weather whereas america's i am happy to meet you mrs dalmain or i am pleased to make your acquaintance lady ingleby is an open door through which we pass at once to fuller friendliness too often in the moment of introduction the reserved british nature turns in upon itself sensitively debating what impression it is making nervously afraid of being too expansive fearful of giving itself away but as i said the american mind comes forth to meet us with prompt interest and appreciative expectation and we make more friends in that land of ready sympathies in half an hour than we do in half a year of our own stiff social functions perhaps you will put me down as biased in my opinion well they were wondrous good to garth and me and we depend so greatly upon people saying exactly the right thing at the right moment when friendly looks cannot be seen tactful words become more than ever a necessity yes little jeff's eyes are bright and shining and the true golden brown in many other ways he is very like his father garth sends his love and promises you a special accompaniment to the blackbird's song such as can easily be played with one finger it seems so strange to address this envelope to mrs o'mara it reminds me of a time when i dropped my own identity and used another woman's name i only wish your experiment might end as happily as mine ah myra my dearest there is a best for every life sometimes we can only reach it by a rocky path or along a thorny way and those who fear the pain come to it not at all but such of us as have attained can testify that it is worth while from all you have told me lately i gather the best has not yet come your way keep on expecting do not be content with less we certainly must not let derrick know that jim Ayrth, what a nice name was at targay he would move you on promptly report again next week and do abide if necessary beneath the safe chaperonage of the cameo brooch yours in all fidelity jane dalmain end of chapter 6 and 7